Ready or not, here I come. Hi, and welcome to Care to Listen. Care to Listen is a series of podcasts which explores, investigates, and celebrates the world of people who have care or lived experiences. In this, our third series, we talk to a variety of people about the role, experience, and relationships that sons and daughters of fostering families have on the lives of young people who are fostered. Hello, good morning, um, and welcome to um, our next guest, Catherine Anderson. She is our uh, referrals and research coordinator for the Five Rivers Childcare family. Good morning, Catherine, how are you? Hello, I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. Um, so would you just like to start, Catherine, and tell us a little bit about yourself and your role within the Five Rivers Childcare family? Yes, of course. So I am a member of the assessment and therapy team. And my role, as you said, is referrals and research coordinator. For the referrals aspect of my role, I work closely with residential, the residential services of Five Rivers, to review potential placements in our care services. Um, I also work on reviewing referrals which are received for commission pieces of work. So that's either within the fostering service or with an external agency or local authority. Uh, in the research part of my role, I work closely with our graduate research assistant, Hannah, um, and with the Anna Freud Centre in London. So at Five Rivers, we undertake research to allow us to improve what we can offer to foster carers, social workers, residential workers, because we use kind of the evidence that we collate to inform our practice. So that allows us to kind of make positive, proactive change where it's beneficial or necessary. Wow, so there's a lot of uh, a lot of work goes into the preparation for placements before a young person actually gets placed. Absolutely, yes. Because when you think about foster placements, the kind of spotlight is always on the foster carers. You know, how important do you think um, sons and daughters are in the in the application of carers to become foster carers? Really important. So choosing to become a foster carer, you know, it's an admirable commitment. You are welcoming your home to a child who often so desperately needs love, nurture and care. And unfortunately, when a child enters the care system, they quite often have a history of abuse or neglect or trauma, which will have impacted on what John Bowlby coined their internal working model, which is how they view themselves, the world and others. So a child coming into care may therefore require a higher level of support, which carers have to then juggle alongside caring for any of their own birth children. So when considering to foster, the sons and daughters of carers will need to be supported to understand that a new child or young person will be joining their family and they themselves may need a great deal of reassurance as to what this will mean and how this will impact upon them personally and as a family unit. So the Fostering Network actually did some work with sons and daughters to understand and further kind of acknowledge the vital role they play in fostering. And one of the biggest insights that they kind of acquired was the need to support sons and daughters of foster carers, not only to retain kind of the carers and the placement, but to ensure the stability for kind of the children coming in. Um, the majority of the sons and daughters of foster carers can completely recognise the benefits of fostering, um, with research actually showing that it allows them to enhance things such as their social skills, their understanding and their empathy 
with many of them actually going on to be foster carers themselves in adulthood. But there's definitely a need um, to kind of work with the positive and the negative impacts. So it's sometimes called a contradictory experience. So it's kind of supporting those birth children to manage both impacts, the good and the bad, and have someone to talk to about those experiences. Yeah, we did some interesting work with Sons and Daughters um, a couple of years ago where we made a film. Sons and Daughters themselves identified that they would like to receive some training on attachment um, and child development so that they could better understand and respond to children um, more suitably and, and appropriately. Um, and we have mm. that residential every year and it's always really nice to get the young people together. And they do talk about their role as sons and daughters with great pride and often mm. I often ask them the question, would you like to foster? And I would say like 90% of the people say that they, they would like to go on to foster oh, or at wow. least stay within the social care setting. It's really That's nice. Amazing, yes. Would you say, Catherine, that there's a typical settling in period that a young person will go through? So it would be quite difficult to describe a typical settling period for a young person as each child's experiences of a placement will be unique to them and it will be influenced by a whole range of factors. So the factors include, for example, whether it's a first, that it's the child's first placement, how many breakdowns the child has experienced in previous placements, their perception of being a looked after child, their view of the care system, their understanding of why they're in the care system and their experience of it so far, the age at the which they're placed and their attachment style, I, I could go on. But you often hear of um, the honeymoon period being described, which is a term given to a time in which the child has settled into a placement well, and then there's a notable shift in their presentation during which their behaviour may change or they may be perceived as being more challenging. But often this is a response which is developed due to the child learning from an early age that they could not trust the adults who were caring for them. And therefore they had to rely on themselves. And in essence, the shift is often the child testing their caregiver to see whether they can withstand what the child brings. And often there is a level of control exhibited by the child wherein they're so desperately trying to achieve a sense of, of safety or security which again, they weren't privy to in their earlier years. So for any child entering a new placement, there'll be a real mix of feelings and emotions which come up. And the foster carer has a real opportunity to be an agent for change for that child and provide a level of care which is secure and loving and supportive and which will help the child feel valued, which they might not have ever experienced before. And I suppose that um, testing and the trying um, would also extend to the sons and, and daughters mm. as well within the family home. Yeah, you may see that because, you know, a child may have come from uh, a family, their birth family, in which they had siblings and they might have had quite difficult relationships with those siblings. So there may be a kind of replication of behaviour or, you know, you may see similar patterns or ways in which the child acts there may be a level of testing from the child and actually they may also be testing out whether they can rely on that new sibling. So would you say then there's an optimum age that a son or a daughter should be? I think that there are probably swings and roundabouts based at whatever age looked after children are placed alongside sons and daughters. So at a younger age it could be said that children are more kind of accepting or gracious of the placement of another child into their family home. 
but perhaps as a teenager they would be able to understand more and therefore be more empathic from the get-go about their new companion Mm. but I think if a child or young person you know a birth child or young person is prepared well so they have access to you know the training we were talking about earlier or they've got an adult they can talk to about their experiences it shouldn't really make much of a difference as to how old the birth child um, is. Wow so the matching process really is uh, crucial in the first instance to getting the right placement at the right time for that Mm. child. Yeah absolutely and you know at Five Rivers we do have a a matching um, procedure in place so we have a checklist that's completed Um, which considers the match between a child and their prospective carers. But it takes into account a whole range of factors such as things like ethnicity, culture, language, religion, risk, etc. But it also considers what the foster carer needs to kind of bolster their ability to care for the young person. And of course, there are considerations made as to how to match a new child along the children currently in placement so that could be birth children or other foster children and all of these factors are so important because if you can't successfully match a child to a carer or pair of carers then there's the risk that we're setting the child up to experience what may be another unsuccessful placement resulting in another breakdown or another relationship or attachment rupture And, you know, research has shown that the more placement breakdowns a child experiences, the higher their level of emotional and behavioural need may come to be. So the matching is so, so important so that, you know, we're not contributing to that kind of series of breakdowns or negative experiences. So there must be some children who might be better placed in a solo placement or a placement without any other young people in in the house. What, What circumstances would determine that choice? Solo placements are often determined by considering the child's level of need. So if the child is determined to have a high level of need, whether that be kind of their emotional needs, behavioural needs, or perhaps they kind of self-harm or they're kind of quite risky or risk-taking in the community, then they may need more support than what could be offered in a household with other children present. For example, a child in a solo placement may need two members of staff to be working with them and available for them all the time rather than one. Um, The aim in solo placements is often, though, to reintegrate the child to be able to live alongside other young people once the time is considered right for them. Because, again, like going back to kind of the example I gave earlier, a child, you know, they may have had siblings in their birth family and those relationships may have been quite toxic. So sometimes a child has to be kind of given that love and nature alone first during which time they're kind of taught about relationships, appropriate relationships, kind of how to interact, how to engage, and then they can kind of be introduced to peers who they can start to develop and maintain those bonds with. So given that you could have a solo placement or a placement with other sons and daughters, you know, what are the benefits of um, sharing a household with other sons and daughters? So as human beings, we are very social. We we thrive and develop through interactions that we have with others. So residing in a home with siblings or other children who become and take on that sibling role allow for a whole range of benefits. I mean, studies have shown that having a sibling when you're growing up can help a child resist against allergies, obesity and depression. But additionally, having a sibling allows for the development of peer relationships, pro-social skills such as kind, caring, helpful behaviours, And ultimately, 
it is fun for a child to have another child similar to their age who they can hang out and play with and they can develop that relationship. Yeah, I mean, some of the sons and daughters that I've spoken to as part of this series have really spoke so very fondly about their relationships and their role within the lives of some foster children. It's been really very touching to hear their anecdotes and their stories. It's been Mm. lovely. So sadly, there's huge numbers of sibling groups that get separated for various different reasons. Um, What's the impact of this on, on sibling groups that get separated? Yeah, so it's it's likely that sibling groups will who get separated, sorry, will experience a degree of separation anxiety or upset or distress at no longer being able to reside with their siblings. Often a sibling for a child who enters the care system has a pivotal role in their life. So they may have provided comfort or support. They may have acted as a parent figure for the child. And they would have developed a relationship or bond that only siblings share. You know, it's kind of an unnamed bond. Um, but there are times when placing siblings together is not a straightforward process. So some siblings don't get on. But at the end, the kind of more severe end of the spectrum, they may, in fact, influence each other into engaging in re-traumatising behaviours. And this isn't their fault. Often these behaviours are created to allow for a sense of escapism or perhaps even to ensure their survival. Um, However, the issue that we often face is considering whether relationships between siblings will have a long term detrimental effect, which may intensify should they continue to live alongside each other. If siblings are separated, this is not always to say that their relationship with each other just suddenly comes to an end and they can never see each other again more it has to be carefully managed so contact is quite often still encouraged and facilitated therefore maintaining sibling relationships and you know if it can't be the team around the child do work really hard to support the child with that loss and that separation. So in circumstances where things become really difficult um, for a family to support a child how do you make that decision that is right for the whole family? when things become difficult for a child and their family it is really important for the whole kind of integrated team around the child to come together and to discuss what can be done to provide support at five rivers when there's a a wobble and things become destabilized it's encouraged an amber flag meeting is held so amber is you know on the traffic lights you've got green which is kind of everything is stable there aren't really any kind of concerns amber is all things are getting a bit wobbly and a bit destabilised and red is kind of there's potentially a placement breakdown on the horizon so the amber flag meeting is kind of held to kind of look at that wobble and try and prevent it from going to red and to the placement kind of ending Um, during the amber flag meeting the difficulties will be discussed and the impact will be discussed in terms of the impact it's having on the child the carers the placement, which of course obviously involves sons and daughters in placement as well. The the context will be explored thoroughly and discussed and there'll be careful consideration made to establish whether there's any triggers to what has happened, you know, whether there's a behaviour which is coming up from the past or whether something such as kind of contact, for example, has triggered this kind of change or difference in the child's presentation. And by thoroughly exploring what is going on, Often we can ascertain that all is not lost, you know, blips or bumps in the road are are to be expected and are a a normal experience in family life. So the purpose of holding such a meeting is to look 
at these difficulties as though under a microscope and to move forward with actions which can help to alleviate the distress. So naturally there are instances where it will be decided that the placement isn't a suitable match for the child and they have to move on but in such cases where where possible a very careful transition will be planned for the child to kind of identify their new placement and then kind of step them down towards it or kind of transition them in a way that isn't too harmful for them but also considers you know the sons and daughters the family that are going to experience a loss too. Mm, I've spoke to some sons and daughters who have said that they really appreciated uh, one-to-one time with their parents um, and um, often would you would you consider respite being a sort of um, a suitable solution to give a family a bit of a break a bit of a breather? I think it's all it's, it's always on a case-by-case base, basis that you have to consider things like respite but generally speaking you know if it's a case of the foster carers just need a bit of time out I think respite can be really helpful to kind of give them that time to refresh restock and then carry on caring and I think um, sometimes for the child respite can be really beneficial because they end up developing bonds and attachments to their respite carers as well as their foster carers and you know then they've got kind of potentially four adult figures that are really reliable loving nurturing who they can trust and have those relationships with so I think you know, it does have to be considered on a case by case basis. But yeah, I think respite is a really good opportunity to it helps people to re- recuperate and rejuvenate and keep going in some instances, for sure. Hmm. Catherine, could you share with us um, an example of the power that sons and daughters can have over the lives of a child that's being fostered? Yeah, I can. I can. um I can draw upon an experience I had when I met with a foster child to conduct an assessment. So I met with her to complete an assessment around attachment. It's an assessment we do called the story stem assessment. It's a narrative play-based assessment. So I met with this young person. She was really engaging with the assessment and it was really lovely to meet with her and spend that time with her. And at the end, she really wanted to show me some photographs of her family. And she started off by showing me some photographs of her birth family and her siblings. Um, Before I visited her, I'd read up on her history. And I know that the relationship she had with some of her siblings were incredibly tricky. When she showed me these photos of her birth siblings, a lot of them she'd removed the faces of, so cut them out of the picture altogether. And she showed me and quite often she flicked through a page and she'd be like, oh, now, and that doesn't matter and she'd keep you know going through at quite a rate of knots and then when it came to her foster family she was residing with a foster carer whose birth children weren't living in placement with them but they were regular visitors of the home and her just whole demeanor changed she was excited she was showing me pictures telling me about the experiences calling them her sisters and you could just really see how much she valued and how she developed such positive relationships with her her foster carers birth children and it just really shows that you know she had had a really awful experience of what a sibling was you know not a typical experience and she was still able to not let that kind of tarnish her view of others and she was able to develop really positive connections with with these new siblings that she'd acquired and it was just so lovely to 
to be privy to all the pictures and to hear her experiences and to see her smile and beam while talking about them. And yeah, it's a real kind of tribute to show that just because she'd experienced hardship in her birth family with her siblings, it didn't affect her throughout her life. She was able to take on these new siblings and yeah, they really provided to her what she'd always deserved from the start. Mm. Yeah, and in the month of October, we celebrate sons and daughters. Um, and I think it's really lovely that we are able to shine a light on their role and to really sort of um, thank and celebrate them for their impact, because I think often they're, they're not really thought about in the, in mm. the lives and in the, in the lives and the sort of like development of children in the care system. And they really play such a fantastic role. It's really nice to be able to un unpick their role and really fit them into the jigsaw puzzle of a child's life. Mm. Um, so thank you, Catherine. That's been really interesting, sort of like delving in a little bit deeper into the role of um, assessment and therapy in the lives of children who are fostered. So thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you for having me. It's been great to talk to you. Okay, brilliant. All the best. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for listening. Care to Listen has been created by a democratic group of children and young people from within the Five Rivers Fostering Family. Our aim is to elevate the voices of people who have care or lived experience, to challenge stereotyping, to fight for better rights, equality, understanding and to celebrate all of our uniqueness. Thank you for listening. For more information, contact us on participation at 5-rivers.org. Music by Rick Flow. Track, hide and seek, courtesy of Rick Flow.